Um, I'm just going to pray. We're going to trust Holy Spirit just to speak to us this morning, um, that he's going to come, that he's going to impart wisdom, that he's going to give revelation, that we're going to get to know him better, that he's going to direct us, that he's going to give us new vision this morning. So hold out your hands if you're happy to. Let's just ask Holy Spirit now. Lord God, we are here and we are yours and we delight in your presence and in being your children, your family, your bride, your army, and being the people of God. Thank you for the work that you have commissioned us to do. And Holy Spirit, just ask that you'll fill us. We ask for wisdom and revelation that we may know more of the fullness of you, Lord God. Amen. Talking this morning on feeding the nations. The subtitle, Get Your Packed Lunch and Let's Go. As we've looked at this term, actually, we've, I'll look at that. So, almost a, previously at Eastgate. Um, and uh, looking at some of the things that God's been speaking to us, both over the last term and also in the past. And we've been talking about some of the callings that rest upon us as the body of Christ and specifically of Eastgate. And... Um, we're called to lead people into freedom in Christ. Uh, my dad has talked about establishing beachheads for freedom, that we are here to proclaim the liberty that the gospel brings, of seeing people walk into the fullness of all that God has for them and set completely free and free to live in the fullness and the abundance and life to the full that Jesus brings. Last week, dad was talking about false humility and that if we're always putting ourselves down, and trying to uh, kind of dampen down the greatness that God has put within us, then that is less available to other people. That if we don't acknowledge the power that is within us, that we have the very Holy Spirit, God himself, within us, and that he has called us to be a great people and to do great things for him. If we downplay that, then it lowers our faith and also it lowers our effectiveness and other people's expectations of us that it is not wrong to aspire to greatness and that confidence is not arrogance, that being confident of who we are in Jesus is actual fact a mark of Christian maturity and causes us to be greater and more effective in what we do and that we're all called to play a role in extending the kingdom of God. This is the Eastgate map, which is a kind of a pictorial representation of how we work as a church and all the different things that go on. And very simply, if you are on the map, your mission is to disciple the world. That your mission is not to sit there in your seat and be an observer, that we all play our role. That if you're on the map, if you are saved, if you are a member of Eastgate, if you are on the planet today and you are alive in Jesus, then your task is to disciple the nations. And that's part of our calling, that's part of uh, God's calling on all Christians. And we must never downplay this. When we say we believe we are the people that will transform the world, people can look at us and go, who are you to say that? It is not arrogant to say we are the people who God has called to change the world because that is what God has declared over us. And that is God's calling on all Christians. It is not arrogant to say we are the people who will disciple the nations. That is merely being obedient. That is being obedient to the calling of God. And God calls us to aim big. 
quote from Les Brown, no one rises to low expectations. It's very easy to set a bar low and to meet that and then to stop and to settle. And that, yeah, job done. Okay, we've peaked, we're done. As Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Not just one, the whole world there to be blessed the kingdom of God is ever increasing and we the people of God his church are the vehicle through which he has chosen to display his wisdom on the planet that's a privilege it's also a challenge eh? one that we expect to rise to and so whilst you can say that this is uh, a calling for uh, all Christians and such but there are also specific callings on us as a church. In the same way that within the church, you have different people uh, with different gifts. And it's important that those all come together to play their part. As I mentioned in first service, there's a reason that I do this and I don't play the guitar. Uh, those of you who know me will appreciate that. There's a reason that I'm not involved in the singing aspect of our worship. At least, I do it without a microphone and God loves it. But the rest of you would not be blessed. Okay. We all bring our part to play. But there are, as a church as well, different churches often tend to have different things that God has spoken to them. Specific words which we carry. And I've talked about some of the ones already. Establishing beachheads for freedom. That is a word that God has spoken to us as a church, and we intend to be obedient to that. And our, always our mantra, and one of our key values as a church is, if God says it, then we do it. And that we are obedient to what God has said in the past and the callings that he has placed upon us, but also we are actively and always listening to what is God saying now. That's why having that prophetic input into our church and into your lives is so important. Because if you are just sticking with what God has said in the past, that might be good then. And there's words that I will reference today that are from some years ago that we're still walking in. But we're always keeping on listening. If Abraham didn't keep listening to God, Isaac would be dead. You get that? <laughs> First thing he says is, go sacrifice your son. Second thing, don't sacrifice your son. Good thing he kept listening. All right? <laughs> because it's, actually, it's about that response to the voice of God and being obedient to him. And I want to look at one of the words that's been given to us as a church, and that's about having a Joseph anointing. Uh, this is a word that was given by uh, a friend of our church, called Julian Adams, who's a prophet, and this is quite a few years ago now, where he talked about us having a Joseph anointing of being someone that helped to resource a nation and feed the nations. And so I'm going to read out an extract from that just now. Um, so in your hearts, just be tuning in, process this, ask the Holy Spirit to make this real to you as well. So there are many of us that have actually lived with this prophecy for many years now, and it's been a key part of what has informed our church and our vision. And it's by no means the only prophecy, but it is one which God has given us very specifically. So I'll read this. You put yourself in a place where God can place a demand upon the gifts he has put in you, because God really wants to break some things open in this place. 
I really feel that so strongly that there is going to come a season, and the wonderful thing is that Joseph had to go through some testing. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 105 that the word of the Lord tested him until what he had said came to pass. And there has been a season where you guys have gone through some testing, some stop, start, stop, start, but God wants you to know that it is going to be broken over you. And then came that season, that wonderful day, when God poured out favor on Joseph that he would be someone of influence in Pharaoh's house. And there is something of that upon you as a group of people that you are going to have influence in this community and the nations of the world, and you will be a people who give provision and provide resources. I want to encourage you to place yourself in a position where you can be used. I'm just going to put up and I'm going to read the last bit of that again. As a group of people, you are going to have influence in this community and the nations of the world, and you will be a people who give provision and provide resources. I want to encourage you to place yourself in a position where you can be used. And that's a word to us as a church. Also, very much, I think you can apply that individually. Our job is to place ourselves in a position where we can be used, where we are putting our best and our resources that we bring and our unique giftings and talents for the forwarding of God's kingdom. And we don't want to, again, act like we overstate that, but we've got a significant calling. We are just being faithful and obedient to that. We are just wanting to do what God has said. Not arrogant, just obedient. So I have a simple question of this. So who is the light of the world? Who's the light of the world? Again, good. We've got both. So the initial, the Sunday school answer, which is Jesus, which is always right and well done. Um, Who else is the light of the world? We are. It's not arrogant to say that because that's who Jesus said. Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Our job is to go forth and bring the light of God's kingdom out into all the world and let him shine through us and that's what partly we're going to look at this morning how we do that how we all play our part in that so going to look at the story look at joseph because he fed the nations Uh, this was as a result of a prophetic word or really of him interpreting dreams of him hearing from god through that way Um, and then listening to what god was saying for him was at the heart of this so again coming back to that and we'll say it time and time again it's about listening to what god is saying and responding to that in obedience and in faith so how did it start so pharaoh had a dream he had saw seven fat cows and then seven thin cows rocked up And then the seven thin cows ate the seven fat cows, like some kind of mad zombie cow apocalypse. Um, And then Pharaoh woke up, wondering if he'd eaten too much cheese the night before, and then tried to get back to sleep. Then has another dream, where he sees seven good ears of corn growing, and then seven thin ears of corn come up. And the seven thin ears of corn eat the seven fat ears of corn. And then Pharaoh wakes up, wakes up, very startled, wondering, hmm, what's that about? Something is obviously up. So he gets his advisors together the next morning. And in, in, uh, in Genesis, it lists them. Uh, it says he gets his wise men and his magicians there. So you have the wise men that are listening intently and trying to come up with a good plan. And you've got the magicians who are pulling rabbits out of hats and just generally providing entertainment. Not sure why they're there, but anyway. And we've got that. 
And none of them can come up with an idea of what on earth is going on. And Pharaoh says, yes, guys, saw seven fat cows being eaten by seven thin ones, then seven good ears of corn being swallowed up by seven bad ones. No one knows. They're all starting to gradually just trying to shuffle out of the door, not making eye contact, thinking that the strain of governing has probably got to Pharaoh by this point. Maybe he needs a spa day, something like that. And then, fortunately, the cupbearer comes along. And he remembers... And he remembers, he says, oh, actually, there was this chap who's very good at interpreting dreams. I met him in prison, long story. Um, and uh, he says, let's get Joseph out of prison. He'll be able to interpret your dream. And so Joseph comes along, casting some sideways glances at the cupbearer who's forgotten him and left him in prison for two years. Uh, was supposed to uh, have a good word as soon as he got out of prison, but forgot. And so and Joseph comes along and he says... God has the answer and God will give us the interpretation for this dream and will direct you. So if you turn to Genesis 41 and read on, but I'll put the verses up as well. This is Joseph. It's Genesis 41, verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So that's Joseph applying the dream and applying it with godly wisdom. And then Pharaoh responds. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Interesting that secular leadership recognized godly wisdom. And Pharaoh says, oh, the spirit of God is on you. There is no one so discerning and wise as you. Would you like to have that reputation? You can. Wisdom, sometimes very, very simple. If you lack it, what do you do? Ask. Yeah, it's good like that, isn't it? Okay. That God gives his spirit, and through the spirit we get wisdom. It's a gift. And that that can be there to be a blessing and a resource both to us in terms of our life and our decisions, but also to those around us and the environments that we are in. Godly wisdom is within us for the blessing of everything that we do. And godly wisdom was used by Joseph to serve and to bless a nation. And one interesting point is that it didn't, desert, it didn't demand anything else in return. All right. Joseph just said, 
yeah, this is it. This is what we need. Just to seek, all it did was to seek to protect and to bless the people around him. Joseph could have said, I will show you what God's plan is, and and in return you must renounce the worship of all your other gods and give tax breaks to all slaves. But he didn't. He didn't make that kind of demand because he brought an unconditional blessing to the people around them. And that speaks so powerfully to people. That spoke so powerfully to Pharaoh that Pharaoh said, you know what? I'm putting you, second to me, as the most important person, the man with the most power in the whole of this nation because you are a trustworthy man and you are a wise man. We must be careful that we use some of the similar principles. That we don't demand things back of people or necessarily demand changes in people's lifestyle or practice because we are blessing them. Jesus, because people can smell a rat, all right, when it comes to conditional blessing or us trying to control people. Okay? The purposes of the blessing of the kingdom are not to bring people under our control, it is to bring them un- in kind of under the influence of our blessings. All right? We are not there to demand things of them. Now, ultimately, what we want for them is ultimate blessing, and that is knowing Jesus and being part of his kingdom. We want that for people. But when we offer the blessings of the kingdom, it is never with a, well, you must do this in return, or unless you change this of your life, then I'm not going to seek to bless you. This doesn't mean that we don't campaign on moral issues. We should speak out about those as a matter of, Social justice, and justice is important to God, but it must be done in a way that does that for its own value, for justice's sake, rather than in a way that's saying, you know, for example, we will seek to bless this business as long as it reforms its tax, its tax practice, or we will seek to bless the NHS, but we've got a hidden agenda about um, euthanasia or anything like that. That that thing is horrendously unhelpful. Whereas when we're coming and saying, we are just here to serve and to bless you, it's amazingly refreshing and it builds trust and it builds bridges and it empowers the people around us and it brings a blessing and ultimately it brings them a greater awareness of the heart of God. We don't use the blessings of the kingdom as a bargaining tool, is the headline figure for that. We use them merely for the good of those around us. Joseph used the gifts that he had to bless the nation and ultimately it blessed the nations around him. He's like a prophetic administrator. He clearly had that gift to be able to hear from God prophetically and interpret dreams. He also clearly had an amazing gift of wisdom, leadership and administration to be able to oversee that entire task. It's a powerful combination. We need people with all different kinds of mixes of gifts to make this work. And he stepped up and he played his part using the gifts that he had in response to what God had revealed. So if we just look at what the kind of secrets of his effectiveness were. He was prophetically driven. He was obedient to God's direction. He served faithfully. He'd served faithfully in Potiphar's house. He didn't give up when he was in prison. And then that's right, from the point that he was empowered to the point that he was blessing the nations, there's a seven-year stretch when he is just putting in the hard graft of storing grain. And he is doing that faithfully. And he is making 
wise use of the resources that are available to him. I want us to look through to a New Testament example of another large group of people that got fed. If you're familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's in Matthew 14 and it's in John 6. We won't turn to it, but I'll do my best just to summarize uh, some of the story. So Jesus is with his disciples and a large crowd of people are following them. It's late in the day. They've been there all day, hot, tired, probably out in the open air, very hungry by this point, possibly even hangry. We don't know. And the disciples come to Jesus. They're tired and hungry. Peter is thinking that he could really go for a kebab about now. Andrew's thinking of trying to phone Deliveroo and get some Nando's. You know, they're they're trying to think outside the box, but they're not sure, and none of them have any food. And then they start telling Jesus what to do, which is an interesting approach and doesn't tend to work that well. Okay? First of all, listen to what God says and should have been looking to what Jesus was planning on doing. And they say, Jesus, would you tell these people to go away so that they can buy some food? And this may have been done with good intention. We don't know. We don't know the disciples' motives. They may have looked around and had amazing compassion on all the people around and just thought these people really need something to eat. We don't know what it is. The best way is just to disperse them and off they go. Or it might have been that the disciples are just thinking of themselves, they're tired, they're hungry, and thinking that the sooner we can get rid of these people, the sooner we can get on with the business of finding ourselves some food. I don't know, weigh it up. Um, If they're anything like me, I suspect it was a mixture of the two. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jesus, at this point, decides to test them a bit. and says, you feed them. Where shall we buy bread for them? Sometimes the impossibility of a situation with human resources needs pointing out to make us consider what God might do. And the disciples don't know. They say, look, it would cost half a year's wages to buy that food. Um, I've got literally no idea how we might go about this. And then they tell Jesus what they do have, I think possibly just to point out to Jesus the ridiculousness of the situation and how impossible it is and how they should just get on with their original plan. They say, well, look, Jesus, we found a small kid and he's got five bread rolls and a couple of sardines. That's it. We can't do this. And then Jesus says, you know what, we can work with that. So... The plan is, what, to steal the kids' lunch? It seems like bullying. Um, And uh, unless we get very creative, we are not going to be able to divide this up in a way that feeds this many people. And then Jesus tells them to start passing out the food, and they act in obedience. And five loaves and two fish feed more than 5,000 people. Because this is the new covenant, where we are not just called to steward our resources well, but to expect the miraculous and to expect the supernatural increase of all that we give and all that we bring as we are obedient and as we step out in faith. And once again, it comes from listening to what Jesus is saying. Expect God to multiply whatever you bring, even if it feels like some very small contribution. Expect God to increase that. Listen to his voice. Listen to his promptings and where he is just highlighting areas for you to go to or people to minister to or an area to bless or where to give money or where to serve or even, you know, where to give your time. 
Just like Joseph fed the nations in response to hearing God through a dream, the disciples fed the people by hearing what Jesus was saying and acting in obedience. It starts with a prompt from Jesus. These people need feeding. And they don't know how. And he shows them. And what does he ask of them? He asks them mainly, actually, to bring what they have. And that's always, that's the very straightforward question to us. When you're looking, how are we going to disciple the nations? How are we going to feed the nations, change the world? It starts with bringing what you have. And then it starts with adding, and then you add faith to that, saying, God, I trust you that when I'm doing this, when I'm bringing this, that you are going to multiply this and that you are going to take this further than I could ever imagined. That there is the potential in what I bring to bless multitudes, even if it looks like something very small. Playing our part. Are you listening to God's prompting? Are you trusting his wisdom and that his wisdom is better than your wisdom? Are you bringing what you have? There are nations that need discipling. The resources of heaven need to be poured out through the church to bless the world. Get your packed lunch and let's go. Get your few loaves and your few fish and go. Right? Because there is a tendency for us to look, and sometimes we discount ourselves in a number of ways. First off, thinking, well, look, I've only got this, this small thing. When I look at the scope of the need out there in the world, how can I possibly help? But that's the wrong perspective, because if you don't bring it at all, it can't be multiplied. You may think, well, I can't change the world with this. We can't change the world without it. All right? Without your unique gifts that God has put on the planet for the discipleship of the nations, if you are not bringing that, God cannot multiply that. So if you're looking and going, well, if God is small, in fact, it's going to get bigger. And God is positioning us for growth, and that's both corporately as a church, and I believe personally in our own faith and our walk. Okay? The other scope sometimes is to be looking around, uh, say, a large church like this and thinking, well, it seems all covered, I'll take a seat. (laughs) Which doesn't work either. Because, again, this is the body of Christ. You are part of that. If you're not bringing the gift that you've brought, then we are lacking. Then we we are here to display the wholeness of the glory of God on planet Earth. Bring your bit of that. Ask in faith that God's going to multiply that. Because again, we are not settling. We're not settling here. We are anticipating growth. We are anticipating large numbers of people being saved and of this church increasing and increasing the number of people that we are discipling and blessing. So if you're thinking, I'm not sure how to play my part. We've got an alpha course coming up in September. There's information about that. Speak to Dave Webster or Zoe, or Zoe Roder uh, as well if you want more information about that. But just be thinking, who can I bring on that? Who can I want to bring? And you might think, yeah, or just bring one person. If that one person gets saved, that's a person that can disciple the nations. And you should have this heart for that individual as well. There's that part of playing our part together. That if no one does that, we're not discipling anyone. Within varying different uh, ways of serving within the church. I'll come on to that in a moment as well. But again, not just within the church. You need to be looking for kingdom opportunities wherever you're going and trusting that God has given you the resources to bless whatever environment that you are in. You're probably in this building a few hours a week. 
and the other 160 odd hours, you're elsewhere. Don't limit just your expectations of bringing the kingdom into your life to just the time you spend in this building. But we do encourage, also very important, that we don't give up meeting together because this is where we mutually encourage one another. It's a key part of being family and being a church on a mission together. So, need to listen to what Jesus tells us to do rather than looking first at what we have. And then we need to be looking, how do I play my part in that? And trust that even if it seems a small part, that God is rewarding that in your faithfulness and obedience and that he will multiply that. So I'll give you a couple of examples. An example very dear to my heart. This was my daughter Zoe uh, when she was two years old. Um, And just to be clear, I do ask my kids permission before I reference them in sermons because I'm very clear that their their lives are not just to provide illustrations for talks, uh, although they are very amusing kids. And so, yeah, good times. This was Zoe. Zoe was two years old at the time and part of this church and part of the family. And we were going through that phase where um, we're trying to get Zoe to feel comfortable in an environment without always being able to necessarily see mum and dad. This is that, that, you know, that step you take as a toddler when you're first starting to grow in confidence, a little bit of independence and learn that you are safe in other situations even if mum and dad aren't immediately around. And so he was quite a shy child as a lot of two-year-olds are. And so we used to take her into creche, as it was called then, it's called Groundbreakers now, um, anyone in here working, you know, serving groundbreakers over there? Bless you, bless you guys. Thank you. You do a great job with our little ones, and we just love it. And I, I love all the people that have served in that environment over the years that have just poured into uh, bringing the presence and security to our very smallest children. Um, I believe, I think, if I remember rightly, it was the first aspect of church life that I ever served in um, when I was about 12, 13 years old, and it's something I still hold. Very dear. And back at this point, Francis Steele, who was here in first meeting, was serving in, in creche. And Francis very quickly worked out that the key to Zoe feeling secure and happy was to read her a lot of books. And by a lot of books, anyone that's encountered my daughter will know that her capacity for reading is, is fairly significant. So as soon as we walked in holding Zoe's hand and Zoe's looking around the room, Francis would give a wave and hold up a large stack of books and Zoe would toddle over and Francis would sit and read to Zoe for like half an hour or an hour, however long it took for Zoe to be happy in that situation. And this helped Zoe to grow in her confidence and in her independence and was a really significant part of her early years feeling happy and uh, safe in this church environment. That's faithful service. That's just bringing uh, something that looks very small but that makes a really meaningful difference. But what I also want you to know as well is that every time that we do this, there are knock-on effects in the kingdom that God, hasn't, that God had in mind that you might not even have been aware of. Because um, at that stage, um, me and uh, my wife Jo were leading the youth group. Um, we've now passed a, a leadership over to that, of that over to Joe Bungay, who's doing a great job. I'm thrilled just to continue to serve on her team, which is just great. But at that time, it was me and uh, Joe Carter, too many Joes, sorry, um, uh, who were leading, never enough Joes, um, uh, who were leading the youth group. And by the fact that our daughter was secure and able to look after, we were able to give 
more meaningful time to basically discipling this bunch of lunatics um, and giving meaningful time into that and helping to build that as a community and speaking into the life of the youth. And then through that, um, we've had very members of the youth group who have either graduated or I left the youth group, gone on to Gap Years University, gone all around the nation. It's great, like, it's great to see some of you guys back today, by the way, as students and hopeful. Just looking, places that we've affected, I'm just looking across, like Manchester, Canterbury, Southampton, locally, Oxford, Warwick, I've missed a few, but Nottingham, yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, and this is effectively sending out amazing people to affect the nation. If you, want to do, if you want to disciple a nation, come to youth work. It's great. Speak to Joe Bungay. She'd love to have you on the team. All right? But search this back to its root, and Francis Steele is discipling the nations by reading to a two-year-old child. All right? And that is the knock-on effect. That is the multiplication effect that God brings to every single faithful act of service that you do. And the wonderful thing is that that wasn't on Francis's radar at that point. All she did was love Zoe. And that's the right thing. That's the right way round. Okay? When I was dropping uh, Zoe off, I wanted someone that was wholeheartedly committed to making that work well in that environment. I probably didn't particularly want someone at that point who went, right, well, I need to do this for the strategic plan so that we, this frees up you to do the youth work so the youth can then disciple the nation. No. The, the motive is actually, in fact, rejoicing and doing the small thing really well. And taking joy in that and doing that faithfully and with a great heart for the person that is right in front of you at that point of just giving your utmost and your best for that person. And then trusting that the wider effects of that are huge. Different example. So this is outside the church. This is a a page from the BBC News website, which my sister sent me. There's Living Drug Offers Hope to Terminal Blood Cancer Patients. And this is about research that's being done in the world of oncology, uh, of developing new kinds of treatments for certain cancers. And this reference, uh, this chap who's in the article, who... Previously, all the, pre, all the kind of conventional treatments had been exhausted uh, and was deemed terminally ill, but then signed up with an experimental treatment, and he said, my cancer is now on the run. And that's good news, and we should be rejoicing in that, because we rejoice in cancer on the run, whether it's through great medicine or whether it's through the miraculous. All right. But what's great is the reason that my sister forwarded me this article is because she was working in a health consulting agency whose job it was to go into certain health trusts and organizations um, and help them in terms of streamlining their efficiency, in terms of helping their staff morale and the way that they empowered their workforce. And so she was there doing her best to bring kingdom principles into that working environment my little sister. Her name's Kerry. She's pretty awesome. All right. Um, and the thing is, a lot of people here, you know, some of you will know Kerry. Uh, a lot of you might not because she's, you know, the Carter that's not here on the stage. All right. 
But she is out there, and she's currently just been transferred to the United States with a remit to work across six different cities, empowering people in drug improvement programs, in working with the homeless, and this kind of thing. But she is there, and she's just determined to bring kingdom principles in whatever she does. So again, it's not just within the church. Wherever you are, trust that the impact is huge. And sometimes we just need to trust the long game. Keep calm and play the long game. I mentioned earlier, Joseph had seven years of faithfully serving and of just knuckling down and of just getting people to put grain in barns for many, many years until he was positioned to feed the nations. Before that, he'd spent time in prison unjustly and he'd served faithfully in Potiphar's house. But everything up until that point had positioned him to the point where suddenly... Bam, there's an explosion and there's increase. And you discover that all the years that you've put in a faithful service and those steps that you've walked have been the ways that God has trained you and has positioned you so that when these opportunities come, you step up and go, yeah, I am ready. And none of the time is ever wasted if you are walking faithfully and if you are serving in obedience. But God sees the long game. Because God sees further than us. And sometimes we just need to be patient Sometimes it's a matter of just persevering and continuing to seek that breakthrough. But we have to bear in mind, if you're looking at yourself and you, you know, if you're seeing yourself as very small, if you're seeing yourself like an acorn, God sees an oak. Because God sees the long game and God sees the impact that you are going to have. And God sees you in your maturity and God sees you more powerfully than you do. You know that he has more faith in you than you do. Right? That he trusts you more than you do. That he is already seeing things in, the, in your future. That he's going, Kai, you, you, wait until, you wait until they realize this. You wait until I see that they've set this up for them. Good works planned in advance for us to do. Hard work that you seem to go through routinely day in and day out is setting you up to be able to handle God's favor to bless the nations. Get your packed lunch and let's go. All right. And just in the last few minutes, I want us to be start thinking, hang, what are the areas? How am I? So two things, if you remember. One, am I listening to God? Am I actively listening to God? Are we as a people listening to God and acting in obedience to what he says? Are we constantly allowing him to direct our path? And if he says it, we do it. And then the other is, am I playing my part? Am I going to step up? And bring what I've got to bring. Am I going to bring the gifts that God has given me for the blessing of those around me? Start simple. With your family, with your friends, with this church, with your work colleagues. But also trust that God's going to take that and he's going to multiply it. That your few loaves and fish are going to feed the nations. And that we as a church are called to be there to resource the nations. That we've been called to this Joseph anointing where we are here to help bring down the resources of heaven and just send them out into the world. And if you're here thinking, oh, not quite sure what I can do. Could you read a book to a two-year-old? If you could do that, you're in. All right? If you're on the map... If you're in Eastgate, you're in. You're involved in changing the world. You're right. It's all the same to God. If you're faithfully serving, doesn't matter what area you're in, he's going to look at that. He's going to reward you in this life and the next. He's going to reward you in heaven. 
And he is going to use you to impact the world more powerfully than you could ever imagine. So just take a moment, just think. What have I got in my packed lunchbox that I can bring to the party? All right. What have I got that I can bring here? What have I got that I can just be bringing out in the world, expecting God to multiply that? You stand and I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being part of your great adventure. Thank you for being your family, your sons and daughters, your bride, your army, your representation upon planet Earth. God, thank you that you have called us to be the light of the world. And we say that boldly, with confidence, and with confidence in you, knowing that, Holy Spirit, that you fill us, that with you we can do all things, that with God all things are possible. And God, I just ask that you will help us just to tune in to you day by day, to just be hearing your voice. Give us just a, uh, those constant little small nudges day by day. And God, I pray that we will be increasingly faithful, increasingly obedient, and increasingly bold with all that you have given us, that we bring the gifts that you have given, and we say, all our time and resources, anything we give, it is all just for your glory, for the increase of your kingdom, and for your blessing upon the earth. We say, we love you, we thank you for all that you're doing. Amen. All right. Nice to see you all. <laughs>